Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. Well, this is a true story, right? When I was 18 years old, our family we did a time capsule. So in the year 2000, we, were all going to, we wrote a letter to ourselves. And, and at that point, I was 18, and we we're going to read it 12 years later, right? And you know, I wrote a whole lot of different stuff in there. But I wrote this paragraph. If someone today could give me a contract and tell me I'd play cricket for Australia and be involved in Australian cricket for the rest of my life, I'd be the happiest person in the world. I wrote that when I was 18. I'm sitting here now, nearly 50. I've basically been employed from in the Australian cricket as a player, now as a coach. And I wrote that down when I was 18 years old, mate. The power of writing down your goals, immense. And like, like being careful with the media, careful with social media. If I could tell any young person, any anyone now, regardless of your age, write down your goals it is incredibly powerful hello everyone and welcome to lessons learned with the greats i'm shane watson and today we're joined by one of the toughest and grittiest cricketers australia has ever produced he scored 23 test hundreds in 105 test matches and with matt hayden was one of the world's greatest opening batting combinations in the history of cricket Justin Langer, thank you so much for being on my show. Uh, pleasure, Wado. It's great to speak to you, mate. I was so unbelievably lucky to have played a couple of test matches with JL, and he was always an incredible mentor to me. JL was a huge inspiration to me to see someone who worked so hard in developing his skill and then just knew his game inside out to bring his A game so consistently. It wasn't just his physical skill he developed. His mental toughness was something that all cricketers aspire to. So I'm so excited for everyone to, who listens to this to understand how someone built himself into achieving greatness. There are so many things that I watched in awe of you, JL, but one that really stands out to me is you're 105 in the fifth test at the Oval in the 2001 Ashen Series. To come from being out of the team to get this one opportunity and to nail it was amazing to watch. What do you remember about that innings? And that time in your life? Oh, look, it was a great lesson, actually, what I that what I remember most was the lead up. I had been dropped. So I arrived in England expecting I'd been batting number three for Australia for the three or four years before that. And I had arrived, I was fresh, I'd had a break, I couldn't, I'm taking on the Poms, we're gonna win the ashes. And about two days before the first test match, I had a knock on the door from the legend Steve War, who I literally is my was my hero. He knocks on the door of my hotel room, and I went, "Oh, this is strange." And you know what Tiger was? I didn't talk much, so when he talked, you listened. And he walked into my room, and he just said, "No easy way to tell you this, mate, but you're not playing the first test." 
and I didn't I didn't know whether to cry on his shoulder or punch him out. I just didn't know. <laughs> I, didn't know yeah. yeah. I didn't know what yeah. to feel. This is my hero, like my big brother, yeah. telling me that I was out of the and I was I was literally shocked. I just didn't, didn't see it coming. Uh, mm. Damien Martin had been in such amazing form in the one day series leading up to it, and he was mm. so good they couldn't ignore him. So, and I was the, the casualty from it. So. Mm. What happened next was I did what most Aussie blokes did. I went, right, hey, well, the only way to get back, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get super fit. Man, I was ripped and I was hitting 10 million balls and I and I was doing all that, so all the physical stuff that Aussie blokes do. But what I wasn't doing, I hadn't let go of the emotion of it, of mm. what had happened. And then at that stage, I was 31 years old. So I'm thinking, it's the end of, my, it's the, end of the dream. I'm out. I'm gone. And... Uh, so for the next six or seven or eight weeks, I was, I was playing the practice games and I was batting so bad because I was trying so hard. Now, I believe in the, the ethos, the harder you try, the worse it gets, particularly as an athlete because you're tight. Now, I was trying so flipping hard and I kept I was batting worse than the bloody pen that I've got in my hand. I couldn't be batting worse. I wasn't making any runs and I was getting more and more angry. I was getting more desperate because the dream's going. Mm. And, again, I did what I did. Like, so I didn't talk to anyone about it. I kept building <laughs> up, building up, training harder and harder and harder and hitting more balls but not talking to anyone about all these emotions I had. Mm. And it got to the point where Steve Waugh tore his calf muscle leading up to the fourth test. Yes, that's right. Terrible. So then we're at Sussex, and amazing thing. I'm thinking, this is my chance. Come on. Tugger's out. This is my chance. I'm at Sussex. I remember the first innings, I batted with Gilly, and I literally, I nearly started crying at the crease because Gilly's smacking them all around the park, and I can't even hit the ball off the square, right? And I'm just going, oh, no, 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 no runs. Anyway, yeah. so I'm okay, come on. The second innings, I'll get some runs in the second innings. I'll play the next test. And we had to go and bat for 10 minutes before stumps. And I was yeah. opening the batting room. <laughs> um, and there's nothing worse. I'm going, come on, just get through this 10 minutes. Anyway. <laughs> I'm out for a duck, right? I'm out for a duck. Anyway, yeah. What happens next? I'm walking off the oval at Sussex, and I swear to God, I wanted the whole ground to open up and swallow me. And I yeah. walked off the ground. I got Adam Gilchrist, who's one of my great friends, who was the captain of mine. I said, I grabbed him by the neck. And I chucked him up against the wall. Look what you blokes have done to me. Look at this. And I got really upset. Like, mm. mate. And then what happened again next was incredible. I got off the team bus and John Buchanan, the coach, and Gilly said, come on, we need to have a talk to you. I said, no, no, I want to talk to you. I'll be fine. I'll work it out myself. Well, that was working well. Why not? I'll work it out myself. We went down to the little bar at, um, in, at the Brighton Hotel in, in – uh, uh, the Grand Hotel in Brighton and John yeah. Buchanan, Billy, and we had a few couple of beers. I remember we had a few Budweiser's and we we're sitting there having a beer and all of a sudden I'm talking. It was like I was spewing out cancer. Mm. I was getting angry. I was getting sad. And for two or three hours we just sat there and for the first time I actually let it all out. And what mm. a lesson. Mm. What a lesson. And then after that we went upstairs and it was a beautiful moment. John Buchanan, I've got to go right to my room. And John Buchanan's going to go and left his room. And we just walked up this first flight of stairs. And he sort of looks at me. You know when you have your first kiss and it's quite mm. awkward? <laughs> when you're a teenage boy or whatever. Anyway, John Buchanan looks at me. He gets this awkward look on his face. He drops his bag. I drop, and he gives me this massive hug. He gives me, and he goes, and John Buchanan, five kids, 
Um, he goes, I wanted to do that for eight weeks, mate, but I just haven't had the, I haven't found the right time. He gave me a big hug. He goes, just hang in there, it'll be okay. And uh, I rang my family that night and I said, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. And they go, no, just hang in. Hang in. You can't be the first bloke ever to leave an Australian cricket tour. Just hang in there. And the next night I went out for dinner with Steve Waugh mm. and I told him how I'd been feeling. And, uh, and then he said, look, mate, same thing. Just hang in. I don't know what's going to happen, but hang in there. Sue flew over the next morning with my third daughter, uh, Sophie, who was mm-hmm. a month old because yeah. she was worried about me. She flew to England just like that. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't get picked for the fourth test. My career's over. The day before the fifth test, I'm in my room. Susie's about to fly back to Perth because I, you know, she's her husband's not going to jump off the off the balcony. Yeah. And phone call, Lang Tug. I said, "Oh, good day, Captain." He goes, "I'm just ringing to tell you, son, you're playing in the test match tomorrow. You're opening the batting with Hados." I, went, oh. I said, "What? What are you talking about? I'm batting worse." I'm not I'm in the worst form. Mate, you might as well pick the masseur. Like, he's batting better. I you're going to be okay. So I remember saying to Sue, I said, darling, whatever happens, I'm going to have so much fun. Like, the last time I ever played for Australia, so I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to relax and enjoy it. And she flew back to Australia. And then next morning, toss of the coin, Australia, Steve Wall wins the toss, Australia batting. I'm going, and I'd been all chilled out. I remember sitting there, what I, I putting my pad on and I start getting this, come on, this is your chance again. This is your chance. Exactly what I've been doing eight weeks yep. before. Yeah. And suddenly clicked. I said, no, no, I promise Sue I'm going to have fun at the time of life. Mm. I remember getting up in those little tiny mm. oval changing. Yeah. I went over and saw Damien Fleming. I said, Fleming, and he told me a joke because he's a funny man. He's a class yeah. legend, as you know. So I start laughing. Then I went over to the music box put on cold chisel or whatever, and I start dancing around in the change room, right? Mm. And then I'm, uh, and I'm saying, just relax, enjoy yourself. And I said, I hate us. And I put my clothes on, put my pads on. Come on, big fella, let's go and bat. And he's looking at me going, what are you doing? I think everyone in the trainer thought I was on drugs, man. Because I was smiling and laughing. I've gone from this yeah. angry little man for eight weeks. Yeah. I'm laughing, joking. Come on, hate us, let's go. He goes, okay, let's go, little fella. So we walked down. I walked onto the ground and I said to Andrew Caddick, I said, morning, Caddy. I said to Nasser Hussain, g'day, Nas. And they were both knobs, as you know. Yeah. I said, g'day, g'day. Yeah. And we're laughing our heads off, and, and I'm laughing. Da, da, da. And then the last clincher of the game, of this story, right? Yeah. I'm on seven, and Andy Caddick bowls to me, and I pull one, and I got caught by Mark Ramprakash at Silly Midon, like unluckiest to see the world. Guess what? No ball. Yeah. No ball. Yeah. And then I went on to get a hundred with Hados. We had our first first uh, part, a two hundred partnership. We had our mm. first one. And went on like amazing lessons. One: the harder you try, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. You relax and enjoy it. Hang in there. Hang in there because you never know what's around the corner. And if you have the courage to hang in there, you never know the opportunities that'll come up. Um, and finally, as an Aussie bloke, talk. Yeah. Let it out yep. because, you know, we have this great, great issues with mental illness in Australia now. Men don't talk enough. Um, and I, can, I can't talk as a, a woman, obviously, but men, we don't talk enough. So amazing, as dark a period as it was, mm. the fact we're sitting here talking about it now, what a lesson. And that helped me 
develop my character and develop layers in my resilience and my mental mm. toughness, I guess. So um, yep. it was a great story. And thank you so much for asking the questions. I would have told that story. <laughs> Oh, look, it's fascinating. And the, and the lesson that you talked about there is, um, and that's around mental skills. And this is um, one thing that I find fascinating and how um, incredibly powerful it is, is something as simple as changing your mindset like you did from going from being trying too hard and wanting it that much and putting so much pressure on yourself to just letting go and just going, you know what, I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to let myself go and so for you, you realize, was that the moment where you realized that that's the mindset that I've got to bring into every single time I play, every innings that I play? And if I do that, I'm bringing my best version of myself every time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you go through, you learn from experience, don't you? I mean, I learned from a, when I first started playing test cricket, I didn't think I was ready. Whoa. Yeah. And I played five tests and I got dropped. And then that was in 93, I didn't go on the Ashes Tour. Lessons I learned back then, I mean... I always say that when you, when you go through tough times, you have two choices. You either quit or you get better. Yeah, exactly. Simple. You quit or you get better. So in 93, mm. I got dropped. Um, I, and look, a lesson, and we're sitting here now. It was 8 o'clock when we spoke. Um, back in 93, I got dropped for the first time. And I remember John Wright, the legendary coach and the great um, New Zealand opening batsman, tough mm. old hippie. But after that third test, or the fifth test before I got dropped, he came up to me sitting in the change room in New Zealand and he goes, and he had a durry in one hand and a stubby in the other hand, um, and he goes, I've been watching you, son. You're trying too hard. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. And we started talking, and he was the old pro, right? And he's now a mate of mine. And he, he then he says to me, you know what I think you should do, son? I think you should learn transcendental meditation. <laughs> I said, like, "I said, you are, mate. You're on. So, yeah, that's not a cigarette. You're smoking something else. Transcendental what?" Yeah. And he said, "Transcendental meditation." And I said, "Oh, yeah, okay." And I didn't think anything of it. I got mm. dropped, and then I'm sitting at home thinking the world's about to end. I open up the West Australian newspaper. I'm sitting at Mum and Dad's little round dining table. And there's this big advertisement, learn transcendental meditation, right? Mm. Now, I remember it was Derek Smythe Road Claremont. I'll never forget it. So I thought, oh, well, I'm not so going nothing to lose. I can't. <laughs> I'll never play for Australia again. So I ring Derek Smythe Road Claremont in Perth here. And anyway, I learned transcendental meditation. And I've literally meditated every single day since 1993. And what a lesson. I mean, that you talk about lessons you get or opportunities so i've met I, this morning i went for a run early i did my 20 minute meditation. i meditate every single morning and i have since 1993 i mean it's it's classic so you can take things from the tough times and you can change your mindset you can change your attitude um, and that's what it comes down to you, you there's so many things in this world that we can't control yeah right what we can control is our attitude and our mindset. And mm. those two words you said before, let go. Mm. They are two of the most powerful <laughs> words you can ever get. I mean, I've got this room up the back, which has got quotes and scriptures and poems written. It's like my life work. And those mm. two words would be written up on those walls in those back room. Uh, they must be up there six or seven times because it, throughout my life, I've got to keep thinking, I haven't got a tattooed on my body yet like mm. the young punks these days, but <laughs> let go. See, they are powerful words. They are yeah. powerful words. Let go. Let go of fear. Let go of um, things out of your control. Let go. Let go. Let go. Well, great two words. 
I'm going to touch on meditation here because of that's something that transcendental meditation is actually what that what I got trained in um, about probably I got taught how to do it probably six or seven years ago, and it was a huge turning point in my life as well. And the power of meditation, um, and the thing that really stands out to me. Well, two things that stand out to me about meditation. One is it's a time that you actually, life's busy. Your mind's busy. Everything's busy. It's a time where you actually just, you're, you're, you're still. Your mind's as still as it can be. Obviously, there's going to be thoughts flowing through at, at times, but it's a time where you actually are still. And the power that I've found in it, it's amazing how things just pop up and even like um, solving problems that you're not even thinking about, just the solution just pops up out of your unconscious mind because you're still. So those sorts of, those sorts of things I find incredibly powerful. The other thing is it's regeneration of your mental energy. We're so good at burning our mental energy by thinking and of the f- future or the past, or as you said, fear of failure or various things that are going on in your life. And it's actually a time where your mind is still as much as it possibly can to regenerate your mental energy. So that for me, that's what I've actually used it for because primarily as well is to be able to regenerate my mental energy because I've been, because I am good at pretty good at burning it out. And to be at your best, you need as much mental energy as you possibly can, whether that's on the cricket field as a batsman. Um, it's, it's been able to um, hold your mental energy and conserve it for as long as you possibly can. Um, and, and that's all other parts of life as well. For you to be at your best, to be able to access all of your skills, to access um, everything you've got, you need as much mental energy as you can. Is that what you've found with meditation? Other few things. I'm sure you've got some other things as well, but have been the real power by doing it. No doubt, mate. It's even that to be a parent, you need mental energy to be a great parent. To mm. be a teacher, you need mental energy to be a leader in times of crisis. You need energy, and this is the this is the irony: is that most people, the busier we get, the first thing that falls off for long is their meditation or their routine because I haven't got time to meditate. Yeah, but. Mate, the most important time to meditate is when you're busy and stressed out. So yeah. that's something that that's why, and, and everywhere I go in the world, last year I was away 300 days of the year, right, in my new Gosh, role. Gosh, yeah. The first thing I do, the first thing I do when I walk into a new hotel, so we stay in a lot of hotels, as you know, yeah. the first thing I do, I drop my bags, I look around the room, and I find out where my spot is to meditate the next morning. Yeah. And it's like wherever I am in the world, this is the one thing I can come back to. <laughs> This is this is where every morning I can know I meditate. So and I love that word stillness. Stillness in sport, you know, mental is so critical and batting is so important. So stillness. Um, and the other thing, and regen the energy, I couldn't agree more. The other thing is concentration in life, right? Is is everything. Be able to focus on what's important, and that's concentration, right? So, and the thing that meditation does, whether you come back to your mantra, or you come back to your breathing, or you come mm. back to a symbol, or yep. and then it's just—it's almost teaching you how to come back to a to the moment, which is important. And you're right; even the Dalai Lama, I am certain, would have thoughts because he's a human being. But they're just the way to be able to bring come back. To that, um, to that one thought. For us in cricket, it was the ball, right? All that mattered was the ball. So it was able to teach me about concentration and concentration is the essence of peak performance. Um, so that's where I also... Um, and the, other, the only other thing I say about meditation to finish off is that I can't intellectualise what it does for me, but it just makes me feel so different. It's so hard to put into words, but... Mm. And over time, it's probably 
I know has helped me so much in my life, and I and I couldn't recommend it highly enough to other, to anyone who's listened to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what you said there about different techniques of meditation as well, like yeah, you, know, you got educated in transcendental meditation. So did I, which is a which is a mantra that you just like a vibration that you put through your through your mind. But there's like meditation really is just a, in when you break it all down and synthesize it, it is just having one thought at one time. So whether it's just focusing on your breath, whether it is actually focusing on a mantra, whether it is actually just looking at a, at a candle and like a flickering, a flickering flame, you know, those, those that's how simple it can be. So, um, no, I really appreciate you talking about that because it is crazily powerful and you've obviously, you know, used it to incredible effect throughout your whole life. Well, the other thing is, Mara, is that, and this, I might sound like a weirdo here, but it's so powerful in my life, right? If I don't explain this to my wife, Sue, a couple of nights ago, <clears throat> every day, I would say these these words almost every day, right? If something comes up in my mind, something negative thought or something's out of my control or what if this happens, right? you know what I say? I tell myself, watch the ball. And watch the ball, all it does, and it's, it's a cricket, they're cricket words, obviously, which are, which resonate with us because we've been learning it since we're little kids. But watch the ball brings me back to, Justin, what are you talking about, mate? That might, that's never going to happen. It just brings me back to the moment. It grounds me. It brings me back. So I'd say it often. Oh, what if oh, What if one of the kids crashes the car? I'll come watch the ball. i come back. Why would I even be spending my energy thinking about something so horrible or what if I've got to make this fun? watch the ball bring it back to right now so and I found through meditation and through cricket and concentration that is so powerful in keeping me grounded in every everyday life and that's the power of the mind as well and the control that you've got over your mind if you exercise that control what you said there like that cue of watch the ball just brings you back to the present whereas most people just allow their environment around them to be able to dictate how they think Whereas you're actually in control of how you think. So you, if you don't want to go in that direction, you just said, if you start thinking about something else, you just have that cue of watch the ball, which brings you back to the present. So that is, Alfie, that's, it's incredible. So for everyone listening to this, understand that the control that you do have over your mind and the power of it. And going back to the, the mental skills aspect for your, for your batting there and, and your thought of letting go. So for you now defining what your best mindset look like, what, what would that exactly be? I'll never forget after I retired, I was in the Coogee Bay Hotel and a, a young boy named Rob, Robbie Baker. Mm-hmm. We played cricket for West Australia. Yep. And he said to me, and we're having a glass of red wine, and I'd retired from cricket, and he goes, oh, JL, I always wished I was mentally as tough as you. And I'll never forget looking at it. I had a sip. I said, Bakes, if only you knew, mate. Mm. I'm no different. I was no different. And the... I was never a great player, but the great player, we're all know there's no different. I've seen the great um, McGrath, the great War, the great Hayden, the great Ponting, the great Gilchrist in our field, again, in our field mm-hmm. of expertise, go through really tough times. But what it is, is just we're all, we're all mentally, um, uh, mentally weak or mentally, it's just finding strategies mm-hmm. to be able to come back to the moment or... Yep. Learn from the best on how you do that. So, but I never, if only you knew, Bakes, I had the same insecurities (laughs) and fears and worries and, oh, my gosh, but I just learned strategies. My grandmother, I often get asked this question, have you got any regrets in your cricket career? And this has to do with mindset. Mm. I said, yes, I have one regret, 
And if I could do it differently, if I could write a letter to my 18-year-old self, I would say this, don't worry so much. <laughs> we spend so much time worrying, right? And when I worry, watch the ball, I'll bring it back. But my nana, my beautiful nana, Biddy, who died many years ago, mm. I used to go there when I was at uni. I'd go there in my uni lunch break and I'd go, and I'd go to her house and she would make me cheese and pickle sandwiches, right, with a bit of cake and a cup of tea. Oh, and what I like, you and I, we're pretty, we, we like to look, look a million dollars on the beach, as you know, you know, you've seen a few more than me with my shirt off. But so I'd go, man, I, I can't get in this cheese and butter that was as thick as the cheese and pickle. Right, Dale, it's good for the soul. Go for a run, you'll be fine. Anyway, I used to sit there with my now, my wise old nana, and I'd say to her, I can see her up on my wall right now as I'm sitting my beautiful nana, Biddy, and I'd say to her as a young man, Oh, Nan, I'm really worried about this. And she goes, is there anything you can do about it, darling? Mm. I go, no, there's nothing. Well, don't worry about it. I go, oh, okay. And then she'd go, another day I'd be having my cheese and pickle sandwich and my fruit cake and my cup of tea. And I go, oh, Nan, I'm really worried about this. She goes, is there anything you do about it, darling? I said, yeah, of course there's something I can do about it. Well, don't worry about it, darling. And, oh, my gosh, like you talk about lessons you learn, worry. We worry so much about it. If there's something you can do about it, do something. Don't worry about it. If there's nothing you can do about it, don't worry about it. But that's what's all about mindset, coming back to the moment, and that's what batting is. The essence essence of high performance is concentration, and that's mindset. So knowing for me, if I could – if I could – simplify it down to if I knew if I had took my both of my eyes facing the bowler and my head forward a little bit and I saw the ball come out of the bowler's hand, I'd be fine. That's mindset. That's concentration. It's routine. I knew what my routine was from the moment I knew that we were batting. My routine was the same. I'd And I'd simplify that, simplify the routine. That is mindset. Yeah. Mindset, mindset, and look to be the hero, not the failure. That's a yeah. mindset as well. Absolutely. So the intent that you had in your mind as the ball's about to be bowled, what were you saying to yourself? Was it? It was watch the ball, but as the bowler ran into bowl. So yeah. the, the two most powerful things I'd go out to bat, concentrate, yeah. watch the ball, yeah. concentrate, watch the ball. So they're, yeah. they're, they're and they're very, very powerful. And then yeah. as the bowler was running in, I'd be saying to myself. Get forward, get forward, get forward, get forward. And that wasn't my, I was just keep my head forward because I so yeah. I'm not retreating. Yeah. Head forward, head forward, or get forward. And then as the ball's just about to be released, I'd say either ball or I'd say sharp. One or the other. I changed, but it just it was one word. One word. There's a great soccer, and I learned this in a book um, years ago by Dale Carnegie, mm. um, and it how to stop, um, how to start living and or how to stop worrying and start living. Yeah. Funnily yeah, enough. I've read that book, yeah. And he said that he said about there's a law of psychology that's it's literally impossible for the human brain to think of two things at once. And he taught, he, he said, sit here, as you're reading it, sit there, close your eyes, try and think of the Eiffel Tower and think of an ice cream. And you go, oh, that's dumb. So you think, and you can go Eiffel Tower, Eiffel Tower, Eiffel Tower, ice cream, ice cream, Eiffel Tower. If you can't think of them both at the same time, it's, it's the law. So it is impossible to do that. Yep. So then I put that into cricket um, terms. I thought, okay, well, if it's impossible to think about, all I need to think about is the ball. So I want to see it, 
released out of the bowler's hand, and I want to see that ball. That's all that matters. In life, for me, in my life, all that mattered was the cricket ball. So I had one thought in my mind. Head forward as they're running in. Yeah. You know, I've been through my routine of relaxing my forearm and then ball, ball or sharp got the energy or ball. just one word, one word, which got me into the mindset of being able to play the next ball as best as I possibly could. And the timing of that word, how important was that? Because what you're saying there, <laughs> I'll come back to it, but what you're saying there is so after – from my experience, from after you know, the tragic events that happened on the field with our with our little mate, um, from that moment on, I had a, a huge fear of of fast bowling in the short ball. So from that from that moment on, my my batting started to spiral, especially playing against a, a, a fast bowler who know I knew had a good fa- a, a good bouncer. And the one thing that I was allowing was space in my mind as the ball was bowled, and then short ball would pop in because that was my fear that was there. So as you, as, as you know, and as um, batsmen know, if you're thinking about the short ball, one, you're trying to mentally process it as the ball's coming down, so you're not going to be quick enough on it. But two, then you're out of position if it's not a short ball. So the one thing I got taught, which is exactly that, um, the, one of the you know, basics of psychology is your mind can actually only actively process one thought at a time. So once I really understood that, I was like, okay, if I put the right thing into my mind as the ball's bowled, which for me is aggressive, so I put aggressive into my mind because it means I'm reacting and I'm taking the game on. At the right time, the wrong thing can't come into my mind. So as soon as I, so now, even now, I'm still playing. I'm still playing. I know that, of course, that anxiousness, anxiety sort of comes up a little bit every time I know I'm playing someone who's got who's bowling good wheels or good pace. But I know how to deal with it. So I just know whatever's going, my technical routines and, and my checklist as the bowl is sort of running in, just getting those things right. And then as the ball's bowled, I put it in at the right time, aggressive, and I know I'm going to react, react to my, the best of my ability. So when did you learn that? You learned that through your career, so you knew that that's, that's just what you did. That's a technique that you use for you to be your best. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, I wrote to Donald Bradman a letter in 1995. Mm-hmm. I've still got it hanging on my office wall. And there's a couple of things, and, and well, there's a couple of things about that letter I wrote to Sir Donald Bradman. And the first thing was, I wrote it on the 17th of August, 1995, and I wrote mm. a hand typed letter on the 19th of August, 1995, two days later. Wow. A legend. <laughs> the first line of his letter I'm flattered that you believe an old octogenarian like myself can help you with your cricket. Like a humility. Yeah. And then and then the last two lines was um, always trust your instincts, um, never become a slave to coaching, which is which is interesting now in the in the um, career I've taken since playing. But mm. the rest of it was all about concentration and watching the ball. Mm. So whether it was back then, or I remember playing with Greg Matthew against Greg Matthews at the new, um, at the SCG when I was a very young Shield player, and he would literally be standing there. He'd be, and, you know, he's, he's very eccentric. He's different. Yeah. Bowl, bowl the ball, he'd go, ball! And he'd shout it out. And, you, and he would actually shout out the word. We all say it in our mind. And yeah. he was sh- so interesting. And then Bob Simpson, my, the, my first Australian coach, yeah. he talked all the time about concentration and the ball. So I think it just evolves over time. Yeah. Um, and if I could, if I could give any kid, any sportsman, uh, any cricketer advice, is 
watch the ball. It's, it's the most yep. vivid. I was in Antigua with my all-time hero, Sir Vivian Richards. Yeah, isn't he? I was the in by the psychologist um, who wrote Winning Ways, Rudy Webster. So I mm-hmm. would have been 20, I think by the 95 Ashes Tour. And he said, Justin, watch the ball like a hawk. Mm. Watch that. Now, if Viv Richards tells me, watch the ball. Mm. And now every single, but since that moment, every time I used to sign a cricket bat or a piece of paper for a kid, I'd go, dear Johnny, watch the ball like a hawk. And it sounds like it's coming <laughs> yeah. free. If Viv Richards tells me that, that's yeah. it, watch the ball like a hawk. And watching the ball, I mean, that's the... That's the essence of our yeah. game. So yeah. it evolves. It evolves and you get more confident with it. You learn it. And the timing, as you said, of when you say the word, mm. as simple and silly as that sound, is so important yeah. because it gives you energy. It gives you a clear mind at the time when you need it. Brilliant, mate. How good, Sir Viv. Isn't he the ultimate? <laughs> oh, my first episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats was with Sir Viv. It, like, oh, was it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's my he's my mentor at um, Quetta Gladiators. So I've been pepper, peppering him for the last two years of every question I've always wanted to ask him, and then he was kind enough to crazy, crazy good. Oh yeah, crazy good. Yeah. So oh yeah, he's the, he's the ultimate. <laughs> I, I wanted to play Test cricket because my uncle Robbie played World Series cricket. Yeah, and he used to come home and just talk about. Viv Richards in the change room, like they'd be in his towel, have his little cigar, his yeah. little rum, and he'd be built like Adonis. And my yeah. other guy, okay. And he still is. You're going to be built like Viv Richards. And then yeah. there was the old board game test match cricket. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. On the, on the front of board game test match cricket, which Steve Smith and Marnus Labashane still play because they are complete <laughs> cricket nuffies. There's this picture of Viv Richards and he had his pink clothes on. He was playing a forward defence and he, had, he was – Sweat pouring off him under the lights, and he had these his forearm muscles were like rippling. I'm yeah. going, Oh, that's on Richard. And then when I was 11 years old, right, he talked about dreams. Yeah, Dennis Lilly was running into bowl boxing day test match 1981 West Indies. I'm 11 years old, Lily, Lily, Lily. Bowls with Richards on the last ball of the day. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, West Indies were four for 18 or something. And that yeah. was the moment as an 11-year-old kid. It was Dennis Lilly with his shirt unbuttoned down yeah. his side. <laughs> big, big, big gold chain. Bowling, it was like the two gladiators going at it. And yeah. the Aussies walking off. They've just got Viv Richards out. Kim Hughes got 100 in the morning. Oh, that's it. That's when I want to be a test cricketer. And now I see Viv just gives me a hug when I see him. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like the old grandfather. I'm going, I oh, I can't believe you. I know. When you see him, please send him my love. I will. Oh, I he, is, he is the ultimate. <laughs> Isn't he? Yep. <laughs> I'm going to go on to what you, what you said there about your um, head position um, from a technical um, skills perspective. Was that a really important component to you? And you knew once if your head were level, your eyes were level, both eyes looking at the ball, then from a technical perspective, you knew you're going to be okay and you're going to be at your best. 100%. This is how we talk about attention to detail. I knew if my nose was pointing at, where the, at the bowler, I was going to be fine because my balance would be okay. And obviously balance is crucial. Balance in life, balance in the cricket field is crucial. If my – because I hadn't quite um, – stuck to it, the exact attention. If my nose was pointing at the wickets or at mid-off, which we're talking about a centimetre change here, 
then I'm dead because no. I'm like, like the, the heaviest part of your body, I just fall mm. over a little bit. And then it's hard to push forward. It's hard to push back. You play across yourself. So that little tiny attention to detail mm. is so important. So, yes, to answer your question, my head position, head position and see the ball out of the bowler's hand, when I was in the moment of battle were the two crucial parts of my game. Was there a moment where you realised that was critically important to your technical side of things? Was that from a younger age or or was it through your middle of your career you realised how important that one really specific technical component was? Yeah, probably middle of my career and it came um, early in my career. I could only hit the ball behind behind point and behind square leg and, and it sounds silly but – because of the position I was in, you know, I could concentrate well. It was hard to get out. I mean, I remember my third, my third test match, I batted all day for 63 not out. Imagine that's, that that's one. That's a great effort, yeah. No, but, yeah, but, well, people say it's a great effort, but you imagine that's like torture. You imagine batting all day for 64 or 63 out of it. It's literally, it's no fun to it. Yeah, no, exactly, it's playing, no fun, yeah. I was out yeah. in the middle when AB got his 10,000th tent run, so that was awesome. But yeah. there's no fun to batting like that. That's just mm. batting to survive. Mm. And when I was in, dropped in 93, Rod Marsh said, it doesn't matter how long you bat for, it's how many runs you score, it'll mm. turn you into a slogger. So I changed my mindset. Yeah. So I became a lot more aggressive. But then there's a batting coach, Noddy Holder, who he was the one when I was, he was the coach, he was the batting coach at my club team, Scarborough. And he was the one who first told me about my eye position, my head position. And then it was able, I was able to hit on drives, I'd be able to hit the ball down the ground. I changed my life because yeah. instead of just falling over and noodling them behind backward point and behind square leg and getting a little hook pull shot away, all of a sudden I could actually play drives. Yeah, I could play the drive. I could play the ball in front of the wicket. My gosh, it was so many batting became so much fun, mate. Yeah. So little kind of tiny little changes, tiny little changes can um, yeah change your life. Uh, Alf, you're always super fit when you were when you're playing, and it continues on today as well. Um, and so, if you're starting your career over again from a fitness perspective, would you have done anything differently? Not really, not really. I, I, I was I started martial. I think I um, I started martial arts when I was about 16 years of age, and I was in the Sunrise Dojos, and. Sunrise dojos by name meant I had to be started at 6 a.m. in the morning. So three mornings a week, I'd start at 6 a.m. in the morning. It was only by complete fluke. My dad, um, one of the guys my dad worked with was a, was a master in this martial art, and my dad was going to do it, but it hurt his back too much. He was older. So I said, oh, okay, I'll do it because he'd paid a year's subscription or whatever. And then I became fascinated. I love Rocky movies. As silly as that sounds, yeah. I love the Rocky movies, mate. Who doesn't? Movies, mate. <laughs> and I, was, I was inspired by the – I was inspired. By it, um, so I love the. I always had. You should see my garage today. It's a bit posher than it was back in the day. But I've always <laughs> had a speedball and a punching bag, and you know, uh, back then there was a sit-up bench, which we used to have sit-up benches, yeah. <laughs> which were there go back when I was eighteen, seventeen, or eighteen. But I got so fit doing that, um, and I then, I then it was interesting through Jeff Marsh, who was. He was a played for Australia, coached Australia. He was my first captain. I said to him, I want to take my fitness to a new level when I first started playing um, for WA. And he goes, okay, every Friday morning we'll meet you down at we, – I meet with a guy by the name of Steve Smith, a little fitness trainer mm-hmm. who's the toughest bastard in the world. Um, and he said, we meet on Friday morning, we go for a run together. 
and then we have breakfast together. Great way to start the day, you'd say. So I said, okay. So I met him down there the first time. And Steve Smith and I, like Jeff Marshall and I, are literally best mates now. And that was when he took me to a whole new level. Yeah, in what way? Well, I just, I realised one way that you can attain mental toughness is by training hard. Mm. Because you're, the mind, there's always that little voice on your shoulder saying, what are you doing? This is stupid. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. If you can push through that, that's one way. You can attain mental toughness through playing and experience through coming through adversity and by training hard physically. Yep. So I think that's important. And, um, and that's, that I'm sure has given me great longevity in my, in my game. I played till I was nearly 40. Yep. Um, but to this day, I'm nearly 50 and I'm really fortunate through um, staying healthy um, that it's given me a, it's, it's kept my, it's kept my mind fresh and it's kept my uh, body fresh and agile. Yeah. So what you, the things that you used to do from a fitness perspective were more like a cross cross section of long runs, like sprints, were that like cricket specific or just general? Uh, more, to be honest, I just wanted to look like Rocky. I wanted to be strong and I wanted to challenge myself. Yeah. Cricket general, for example, before, and you might, you'll remember this one, but um, the day before, two days before every single game I played, I ran a hundred runs. So mm. I would, set up the, the two cones and I'd, I'd go one, two, three, four, five, four, three, two, one. So that's 25. Mm. And I'd do that four times. When I got up to 50, I'd raise my bat to myself. And I'd be using that time to visualise. Let's say I was playing at Antigua. I was playing at Lords. I was playing at Adelaide Oval. And that was my time to really visualise through the running, through doing mm. something rather than just sitting. So I'd be very specific with that. Um, but I'll give it now that I'm a coach. I'll give mm. you an example of why this is important. Usman, the, on the second day I was coach, I rang Usman Kawaja, who's a very talented cricketer, as mm. we know. Yep. And I was sitting in my driver. I still remember. I rang Uzi. I said, "Hey, Uzi." He goes, "Oh, g'day, Jay. Well done on being a coach." I said, "Da da da da." And I said, "Look, Uz, I know you're not going to like me saying this, but..." I want you in the team, but you've got to get fitter, mate. Everyone's been telling you, and he sort of was very – he was resistant, I reckon. He was resistant because people kept telling me he's got to get fitter. I said, I want you to change your mindset, right? I don't want you to get fit to tick boxes, Mm. to be able to run a better 2K – you're not a 2K time trialer, Mm. or to skin folds just to get under a certain level. The reason I want you to get fit – is so you can bat for longer, so you can run harder between the wickets and you can be more agile in the field. So I want you to change your mindset. You're doing it to become a better cricketer and to give you longevity. He goes, oh, I've never really thought about that because a lot of in um, professional sport now, you've got to tick so many boxes, right? But I have zero interest in that one. I do it so you can get better. Now, after that happened, Usman Khawaja batted for eight hours in Dubai mm-hmm. to help us save an historic test for us then. Yeah. He batted for eight hours against spin. When everyone said he couldn't play spin, it was one of the best in it, but he batted for eight hours. It was like 38 degrees, 70% or 80% humidity. He batted for eight hours. So I'm going, tick, bat longer. Mm-hmm. He's got to bat with Dave Warner, who's an elite runner between the wickets, or he yeah. can do that better. And then in the first test match when I was coach of Australia, Virat Kohli 
Next one, and Usman Kowatsu takes an absolute <laughs> screamer at Gully. Yeah. Now, to this moment, it's probably one of the highlights. It is one of the highlights of my coaching career from Australia. Mm. Now, not just because we got Virat Kohli, the best batsman I've probably ever seen here, mm. but because Usman Kowatsu had spoken about months before took this absolute screamer. Now, I might be wrong, but there's no way he could have done that in the shape that he'd been in. All of a sudden, he'd lost six or seven kilos. He's feeling good about himself. He looks great. He's batting for long, and he takes screamers, and that's why physical in our business, it's not to tick boxes. I could not give a rat's ass about that. It's about being able to help you perform at the best. And if anyone tells me, and people have tried to argue with me, that physical fitness can have a detrimental effect on your performance, no mm. worries. Let's argue it all day long. And then it might change my mindset, but I doubt it. Yeah, what you say there is is one thing that I'm very passionate about as well. Um, after my experience alone, um, from a physical point of view, um, and that comes down to being really specific with your training. Um, like what you said, running between wickets, getting fit, in what you actually need to do. Yes, of course you need some other, you know, other fitness um, aspects as well, like you know, endurance and that sort of thing. If you're going to go for longer runs, but my, my take and a lot of the people that or all the people that I've interviewed on, on lessons learned with the greats all come back to being really specific with your fitness, with what you do. If you're a fast bowler, guess what? You need to bowl balls. You need your body used to doing what you do. And yes, you need um, a, you need a core fitness base as well. Like D, uh, Dennis Lilly is talking about like longer runs and just, and then, and then sprints around my run up as well. So you're getting fitness around your run up and exactly what you need to do, but then also running between wickets. So many people that's like, they do well, well, let's do longer runs and let's do hundred meters and 200 meters runs. Well, what you said there is your fitness is actually specific to exactly what you need to do. So you're getting your body used to doing exactly what you're asking it to do in the middle. And that's what you're saying about ticking the boxes. There's a lot of box ticking that goes on in cricket and has over the last like you know, five to 10 years. But um, it's, it's awesome that someone that you are in the system to make sure that the, it's not because we're ticking boxes. It's because we're trying to get the best out of ourselves and out of our bodies so we can do what we need to do with you know, ourselves to perform at our best consistently. 100%. That's why I've loved this COVID period because all of a sudden we go back to it's not all on a silver platter for all the players. I want, I've said to all our – so I'll give you two examples. One, I said to everyone in Cricket Australia, no, no, let's see how they come back. Hmm. Let's leave the guys. Let's give them freedom. Let's let them go away and let's see who comes back in great nick. And they'll do then, they'll train when they want to train, how they want to train, and let's just see how they come back. And it's blowing me away, mate. The way the boys have come back is awesome because they've got time. This beautiful thing about time, they've got some freedom now in every sport, every every professional sport now. It is so I'd hate to be a sportsman today. I'd hate to be a cricketer today. Because you can't, by the time you get out of bed to the time you everything's getting measured. <laughs> everything's yeah. measured. Like yeah. and I I'm the head coach of the Australian cricket, and I'm saying I'd hate to be a player today mm. because there's so much. And when I first became coach of West Australia, our blokes were all out of shape, mediocre. And I said to all our staff, I said, there will be no science here for the next three months. It's going to be all art. And we just flogged mm. them mm. to change the mindset, right? And a lot of it's the art and getting specific. So I used to run long distances as well as my run between wickets, but only because – and all the – 
all the fitness guys would go, no, no, you've got to be fast and powerful and short. I go, yeah, yeah, no worries. I get it. But I've got to bat for six hours. Yeah. <laughs> I see myself as a marathon runner, mm. not a sprint. I'm a test opening batter. I want to bat for six. So I'd go for a, I don't know, 10K run or whatever. And it, because I was training my mind. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was getting some endurance, but I was training my mind what I, mm. and that's what I was saying about physical fitness can help your mental toughness because I was, every, whether I was running 100 before the game or I was going for a, a long run, I was just doing it to train my mm. mind. Not my, but I, Yeah, the benefit was I'd have a six-pack and my missus would be happy and I'd look good when I take my shirt off. Mm. That's the benefit of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I was using physical training to train my mind. It's pretty much as simple as that. I did martial arts, not not to have a fight. I tr- I did martial arts to train my mind because the mind, as we've talked about through this podcast, is so powerful. And that's why, in my opinion, physical training is so important, mate, because it, it trains your mind. It gives you a... It gives you an elite mindset. It gives you a champion mindset. And it's one thing you can control is your physical fitness and your mindset. Two things that have really stood out to me already is one, allowing people to let go and understanding how powerful that is to let go, to get the best out of yourself. It's mentally let go, not worry. Cause you can't, when's worrying about a result, made the result look more likely or less likely. So what those couple of things. And then this other thing about giving people like their own responsibility, because in the end, ultimately you're the one who's out there in the middle. And if you're taking shortcuts, guess what? It's going to be exposed. <laughs> and you've got and you're out and they find so and you'll find someone who's actually not taking those shortcuts. It's like your kids. I love I've got four daughters mm. um, from 23 to 14. I love my kids more than anything in the world. But I also know you've got to, they've got to learn. They've got to, they've got to live. Because mm. if if they don't live, make mistakes and go through tough times, they're not living. Yeah. As if they're not out there having great times and having great experience, they're not living. So, but people, you know, people, you know, ultimately you, you live and you learn. I mean, it's like a cliche, but it's true, right? You live positive or negative experiences and you learn from it. And that's in another part of mindset. Learn from every experience. We talk about in the Australian team. One of our values is elite learning because, you know, I, I want to be to the very last day I coach or the very last day till I breathe, I want to be known as a novice coach because it means I'm learning all the time. That is the ultimate thing about life. And what you said there is around um, that there's always going to be setbacks and challenges that life throws at you. That's just the reality of life. Even though you're like, I grew up thinking, Oh, and you read these fairy tale books, you go, Oh, life's a fairy tale. Oh, really? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's not the case. There's always, as soon as you think you're going, all right, guess what? There's going to be something that's thrown straight at you (laughs) to challenge you. And what you said there is learning from every experience. So would you say that's one of your sort of main sayings and mantras that makes you bounce back from you know, setbacks that always are thrown at you? 100%. Yeah. We, we only see, you tell me one person who's been successful in life and tell me it's all been a straight line to the top. <laughs> if they do, they're lying to you. Yeah, exactly so, right. I, I learned an amazing lesson about three years ago, what I my uh, my beautiful mum passed away. She had ovarian cancer, and a few a few months before that, my best mate had a heart attack and died. Oh, right, jeez. Like, well, literally, my best mate in the world. Mm. So within a few months, I lost my mum, who is mm. my uh, and my best mate. Mm. And what I learned is 
even when life throws up the most unimaginable pain mm. or the worst case scenario, you get through it. Mm. There's a beautiful old, there's a beautiful, a Robert Frost, the poet, says, life can be summed up in three words. It goes on. <laughs> so no matter what happens, the sun's still going to come up the next day. Then you have a choice. Whether you love watching the sunrise and you love watching the sunset or you hate watching the sunrise and you hate watching it. So whatever happens in your life, lessons come. And the lesson I learned from my passing of my beautiful mum and my great best mate, do you know what? You can get through that. You can get through anything. I, I even talk about I get in this heavy feeling in my heart thinking of talking about it, but the truth is you still get through it. Whatever happens, if you have the right attitude and you can get through even the worst things in the worst things you know this i just funny i just see something right mm. i've got this little coaster on my desk so I put my, <laughs> it's like a love coaster. yeah yeah let go I've, there's no let let's let go no way yep the other one is truth works truth works <laughs> I, i'd love to Alex ferguson before the old Trafford test last year, mm. and the first, well, three minutes of having lunch with him, he said to me those two words, just remember, Justin, truth works. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like, truth works. Oh, yeah. truth works. Just tell the truth. How yeah. cool. Yeah. The other one, I've got, and I've got it here. Look, it goes on. Life goes on. Goes on. Yeah. If you're living by those three, three sayings and mantras, wow. Yep, you're getting the best out of yourself. Alf, I know you've had so many different experiences as a head coach of Western Australia um, initially and now the Aussie team. So from a coaching perspective, was there one major situation that stands out to you that you really learned from when you didn't get the desired effect that you're looking for? Oh, wow. Um, well, I think when I first came into the role, one, I, we lost. We lost 5-0 to England. Mm. Uh, when I first we went to England, we, I lost five nil in a one day series over there. We went to Dubai, we lost the Test series. We got thrashed in the T twenties, and we came back and we lost to India uh, for the first time ever. India beat the Australian cricket for the first time ever. So I can promise you that's not a desired effect, <laughs> desired outcome. Yep. But I also knew that I was really, really, really clear what the what we needed to stand for. I was really clear of our process and I was really clear that if we stuck to it and I didn't know this but I was I knew if I stuck to we stuck to the process we'd get the results um and it was tough I mean I remember I've said this story a few times but six months into the role we're at the Sydney and we were day day three or day four of the the last test against India and we're at the breakfast table and Sue and the girls were flying home to Perth that morning and Sue, we're at the breakfast table in, we're staying in Double Bay there. And we're, I'm just about to get in the car to go to the SCG. Sue and the girls are getting in the taxi to go. And we're at the, and Sue starts crying at the breakfast table. I've known Sue since I was 14 years old, what I, I'm and my daughter. So Sue doesn't cry very often. And I, I said, oh, what's, what's going on? What's up? She goes, I don't like what this job's doing to you. I don't like what this job's doing to us. I don't like what they're saying about you and the team. They don't even know you, but the, the press has been brutal. And that was a real wake-up call for me. So was that the desired outcome? No way, mate. I've seen my family. I'd gone from the dream job, head coach of Western Australia, living at home with my family. 
We were having great success in West Australia uh, with the Scorchers and with the West Australia. I'm, I went on the board of the West Coast Eagles Footy Club, one of the great sporting clubs in Australia. I was living, mate. And then I went into this new role and the first six months certainly wasn't rainbows and butterflies. Mm. And we had, some, we had to make some changes, but I knew what we stood for. And by sticking to that and making some little changes along the way, taking some advice from my wife or taking some advice from different people who I trust and respect. Mm. And, and funnily enough, we've got the results and it's still not, it sounds all glamorous, but my gosh, but to be successful in anything, it's bloody hard. And you've got to have a lot of times where mother cricket or the universe is giving yeah. you a smack. Just if you want this success, son, no worries, but we're not going to make it easy for you. That's life. Yeah. So was there one fundamental thing that really stands out to you? that turn things around, even from your own like your own perspective? There is, absolutely. I've said these three words. Again, we come down to really simple statements, don't we? Mm. Truth works, goes on, life goes on, um, let go. Yeah. These three words, I've literally, I'm saying it again now, I would have said mm. these three words for the last two years, right? Mm. And these three words are make Australians proud. Make Australians proud. So we went from what happened in South Africa with the sandpaper, mm. probably some um, – there was a perception of the team probably a year before that, mm. that are we making – of our behaviours on and off the cricket field, make Australians proud. So that's what stands out to me. My, yeah. my higher purpose or my vision or my – what got me out of bed every day, I wasn't winning and losing games of cricket, it was making Australians proud of us again. Mm. Seeing if the rest of the world would respect us again because we have a very proud history, my gosh, Australian cricket is very, and we had to make Australians proud of us again first, and earn back respect from around the world, and that's that's what stands out to me. I was so clear, and to now we've gone from a very unpopular team to one of the most popular and likable teams in Australian sport again, which is awesome, and. We happen to also be the number one ranked team in Test cricket and T20 cricket, and we haven't spoken about that once. But we've talked about making Australians proud of us again with our behaviours on and off the field and the results now. We have, we've got both. We've got great people and we've got results of the number one ranked team in two forms of the game. So you can have both. But, yet, to answer your question, yes, what stands out is I was so crystal clear that got me out of bed every day. We need to make Australians proud of us again. And then also having the process where you said, knowing the process that you believed in would work and sticking to that. And that's one thing that yeah. even from my experience alone, some coaches do shift their processes of what works or what doesn't because they might not exactly know what works. But once like you do, because you experience it through your own playing career, then it's like, well, not care, like results, yes, they, depending, sometimes they're out of your control either way, um, but it's actually understanding and having that belief in what your process is and then sticking to it through thick and thin, not changing your coaching philosophies or not co changing things because the results aren't what you're looking for. And that's very powerful. Any leader, you need to know what you stand for. So I can sum it up. I can tell you right now, my leadership philosophy is simple. Make Australians proud have a vision, so that's one. Two, great cricketers, uh, develop great cricketers and great people. I've said it for 10 years as a coach. So it's not just about cricket, it's about people, and we live by these values. And the values weren't my values, 
the, the values that I've learned from the – I've lived in Australian cricket since I was – I went to the Cricket Academy when I was 18 years old and I've met every legend of Australian cricket. So my, it's the value, we're going to live by these values. Honesty, because I know we're at our best when we're having honest conversations. Every day I've been in Australian cricket, we get out of bed every day looking to get better. I can get better, we can get better. So there's elite learning. Um, professionalism, I've never met one great player who isn't, the, like we were just talking about before, a great professional who works their ass off. I've never met one. Um, the fourth one is mateship. Camaraderie is like the glue that keeps everything together. The, the blokes I played with are literally like my brothers today. So there's the mateship and camaraderie. And the fourth one is humility. If all the great champions, maybe not Warnie, but all the other great <laughs> champions. <laughs> and Warnie, we love Warnie. So I'm not, that's yeah. certainly not a dig at one. That's yeah. a bit of a, Warning, but he's not going to talk, talk to you for six months now. You said that. That's right. He'll get over it. <laughs> oh, we love him. <laughs> I'm not sure he'd be the most humble bloke I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> That's what made him so good as well. So they're the values. So we're going to live by these. Not my values. The values I've learned in Australian cricket over being involved for 30 years. And we stick to that. We'll be okay. It's so important. But you're still in the thick of the media, even now, more so than during your playing days. So from what you know now, would you approach the media in a different way when you're playing? But the big, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in this new role is I've got to be incredibly disciplined in the media. Mm. Every word I say, and I've got this a great mentor who is on the board of the West Coast Eagles with me. And if I say one word out of place, he'll ring me and goes, oh, Mate, for what it's worth, and he's a he's incredibly, incredibly um, brilliant in the corporate world, Australian corporate world. And mm. he goes, mate, a great CEO wouldn't say that. All right. Okay. Yeah, he's awesome. He is awesome. So, and he just keeps a check on it. A great CEO wouldn't say that. I go, oh, mm. yes, yeah, I know. All right. He goes, yeah, well, no excuses, mate. Just be disciplined. So, be Uber disciplined. The other thing I'd say, um, and I say this to a lot of young sports people, be very careful of social media. In fact, be very careful of media full stop because what you don't need in your life is for strangers to tell you how good you are. Mm. Equally and more importantly, what you don't need in your life is for strangers to tell you how bad you are. Yeah, I mean, you know. I mean, you know if you're having a good day or a bad day. You don't need strangers to tell you how great you are because they don't know. And you don't know strangers to tell you how, how bad you are because they don't know. Mm. So be very, very, very careful in the, with how you handle the media and you've got to be incredibly thick-skinned. Yeah. One thing I've learned also, Wano, is that as an Australian selector, now as an Australian selector for six months, the first six months was a nightmare because I took it all to heart. Now... Mm. My starting point is, as an Australian, I can't win. Mm. I can't win. Yeah, it's good so perspective. That's, and, and yep. that, that's great pressure off me because mm. if I picked Shane, I should have picked John. If I picked John, I should have picked Steve because everyone's got a different and everyone's got a everyone has got an opinion on the who the Australian creator. So I can't win. Mm. So that's good. That that straight away takes pressure off. Yep. And I'm glad I've lived through a really tough time of being offended by it. Because now I'm at that point, well, that's okay. It doesn't matter. I say to her, don't worry, babe. I can't win, so don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> 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 that's it. 
Um, so you're saying from a media perspective, you don't, do you not read the media? Because, because you're trying to stay away from, like, as you said, strangers commenting and making judgments on how good you are or how not so good you are. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I, we we that in England, we didn't have any, uh, we didn't have any newspapers. One thing we could control, we didn't have any newspapers on the team bus, mm. and we didn't have any newspapers in the change room. And that's mm. really, but that's one thing we control because mm. you know how the press is in England. What I, mm. yeah, is brutal. I mean, the crowds last year in England to to the Australian cricket team, it was horrible. Mm. It was literally, yeah, and people say, well, yeah, well, you deserve it because you put sandpaper on the ball, you cheated. Yeah, okay, no worries. Yeah, the boys made a mistake. They paid the price. But that doesn't, um, that shouldn't allow people to have such disgraceful behaviour and say some of the things. And, and it's one of the other things I'm most proud about about the team over the last two and a half years, how they handled that that scrutiny and that abuse was absolutely brilliant. I was so at the moment we in the Australian cricket team now, we have the best bunch of blokes you've ever met. We always have since I've been involved, but they are brilliant young blokes. I love them. And the way they showed great courage, they didn't fight back. They just smiled. They got on the bus. They looked after each other. They stuck together. I was so proud of them. That's very impressive. And and by not also allowing the outside influences come in and just not even knowing about it, not caring about it. That's exactly well. That's exactly how I dealt with it as well. It's the only way that you could feel like you could deal with it is just shutting shutting it out. Because as you said, like what, what's the point in worrying about people who are judging you? Have got no idea who you are, what you're doing, um, everything that's going on in and around you. So why care about it? So it's great to be able to instill that, mate. Yeah, it's a hard it's a hard thing to do because we get offended by it, don't we? But if you allow it to, and there's times. I mean, I'm human. There's a couple of commentators out there I'd love to knock out. Oh, <laughs> mate. Or at least, at least I'd love to sit in a room with them yeah. and eyeball them and go, seriously? Seriously? You're going to mm. write that about me? No idea about me. Mm. And you're going to write that about me? Oh. And then if you argue with them, then you can punch them out. Yeah. They, 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 they go, <laughs> there's times where you get upset and emotional that's certainly my my uh, a lot of other people around me who care for me get more upset about it but i just you know I, i'm yeah i'm learning great lessons since i've been as a player dealing with it but certainly as the coach now and as a selector oh my gosh harden oh, up son <laughs> <laughs> Such as that's a great thing about life, isn't it? We're always learning and we're always looking to get better. Now, this is going to go into other another aspect of life away from cricket, and I believe this is one of the most important life skills that most of us well, we don't get much education on this throughout our lives. But managing investing our money as well as we possibly can is integral to making the most of what we've got. Whether you earn three dollars or whether you earn three um, three hundred thousand dollars, it's just making the most of that. So looking back from when you where you are now, would you have done things differently from an investment and wealth generation perspective? Like whether that's investing, like looking back in the share market or rentals or um, commercial property, those sorts of things? Um, look, I, again, I would not be sitting here talking to you now, mate, without great mentors. Mm. And one of my great mentors in business was my dad. <laughs> my dad was very successful in business. So and I got thrown all the Hollywood schemes when I was growing up. You know, they say you got a bit of money. Oh, I'm going to go and buy a, a, um, an apartment down on the ocean. And my dad going, what are you talking about, son? 
mate, you're wasting your money. I go, yeah, but Dad, it's so good. I'll be bringing my mates. I can see the ocean every day. He goes, son, buy a nice house. And and uh, fundamentally, maybe boring, but my dad used to always say, son, own your house. It's your only tax-free investment. And then if you want to own that house, and then if you want to get a nicer house, well, then sell that one and buy another one. And and that's just been, you talk about foundations of my um and lots of, again, lots of people do it differently, but I've always mm. been that, um, own my, own my own house. And then, you know, I've got a, a great guy who helps me with um, some little specky shares because I've got some, okay. he's been brilliant. We had some fun with that. Yeah. Um, and he's in the, he's in the business. So he helps me that we have fun with that. We make some money out of that. Um, but I've been reasonably conservative, but I, in, and because of that, I don't think I've ever got a, I've, for the last probably 10 years, I would never have a worry about my finances ever again because I've had a, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. You know, I'm still lucky that I've I've got a good job. I know I've got a good work ethic. So if worst case scenario that I can keep working, I'm always going to work, always going to, there's an old saying, what I've never been a person who went broke making a profit. Even if you're making five bucks a week, not yeah. that I'm broke, are you? Yeah. Um, I think you've got a good work ethic. You've got good mentors around you who can who can guide you. It's one of the things I've loved most about being on the West Coast Eagles board. I get to talk to some of the best corporate minds in Australia and I love talking to interesting people. Mm. It's like reading great books. I love reading about from great people, about great people, learning from great people. I love talking to successful people because you just learn so much. It's like Oh, it's gold every time you you're in their presence, and I love that. Yeah, that's then that's a privileged position that you know um, that you're in, and that you know we're we're in as well as to be able to get to learn from some of the best people in the business. Um, and and along those lines, what with all the super successful people that you've met and been around, who is the person who's most inspired you? Uh well, I, I honestly, I honestly couldn't give you one. Hmm. Because I, I talk about my parents, I talk about I've got a, I've literally got a, this magnificent bookshelf just to the right of me and my, and I think about, you know, I've got Steve Warren, Gilly, I've got Greg Norman, I've got Punter, I've got Alex Ferguson, Steve Jobs, you know, I loved reading like um, Andre Agassi, Matthew Hayden, then you talk about Mandela, you talk about I know like Charlie Stones, Charlie what from the Rolling Stones, and what about the yeah. energy in life? of the Rolling Stones, how they keep going. I mean, yeah. there's Nelson Mandela, there's Twiggy, Andrew Forrest, there's Wayne yeah. Bennett, there's John Howard, the great Prime Minister, there's Hughes's book. I mean, the lessons I learned from my little brother, Philip Hughes. Yeah. Um, could I name one person being mo- most influential? No. But as I said, I would not be here right now mm. if I wasn't open to great mentors, great leaders, great people. And I love that about life. Mm. And we are in a privileged position, I guess, is that we get to talk to, and that's the other thing I've loved about this COVID period through Zoom. I've been on these coaching forums. I've been on these champion forums. Oh, my God, you just learn so much. I mean, yeah, learning, 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 learning. There's a book um, called by Tim Ferriss called The Tribe of Mentors. Well, I live in a tribe of mentors. There you go. That's, a great, that, that's, that's a great book too. Really, yeah, Tribe of Mentors. Book. And the other thing that we can't, not mention as well is you've written five books 
And I will mention that the one book that's had a, had a significant impact on my life and my career is your book, Power of Passion. That's an, incre- that's an incredible book talking about your experience around 2001 as well. Um, so for people who are listening to, to this, you definitely got to take a look at that as a starting point because um, how you're able to uh, synthesize and, and talk through your different experiences um, is absolutely fascinating and a huge impact on, on, on my life and my career as well. I love writing. I, I, I love um, storytelling's the essence of leadership. I think great leaders are great storytellers in one way or the other. I loved it writing when I was at school. So um, I did English and English literature. And I've always wondered, is it the, the writing that helps my stories or the stories that help my writing? Or they probably just, they just go hand in hand. But you know, I, I write my journal every single night. I've written journals all through my career, um, and write. If I could give, if I could give um, young sports people or young aspiring champions one bit of advice, would be write down your goals, write them down. Don't think about them. Write them down. And my gosh, well, this is a true story, right? When I was 18 years old. Our family we did a time capsule. So in the year 2000, we were all going to be, we wrote a letter to ourselves. And, and at not that point, I was 18, and we're going to read it 12 years later, right? And you know, I wrote a whole lot of different stuff in there. But I wrote this paragraph. If someone today could give me a contract and tell me I'd play cricket for Australia and be involved in Australian cricket for the rest of my life, I'd be the happiest person in the world. I wrote that when I was 18. I'm sitting here now, nearly 50. I've basically been employed in the Australian cricket as a player, now as a coach. And I wrote that down when I was 18 years old, mate. The power of writing down your goals, immense. And like, like being careful with the media, careful with social media, if I could tell any young person, any anyone now, regardless of your age, write down your goals. It is incredibly powerful. And it also means you finalize your thoughts and these really specific thoughts and dreams. So you've got something to aspire to as well. Instead of sort of just bumbling around your mind, oh, yeah, maybe I might do that. It's actually finalizing it by writing it down and putting it on paper. Well, make a commitment to yourself, right? It's yeah. like contract yourself have a red hot dip at it. And some of them, I mean, up on that wall I talked about, I've got the number 10,000 written a number of times on the wall in that back room, 10,000. I aspired to, I didn't quite get, I didn't get 10,000 if I was away off 10,000 runs. But my gosh, I had a crack at it. And because of it, I had a wonderful career. You know, I played for a lot, met great people, great memories. Um, and I didn't quite get there, but, you know, getting close was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. It's a massive understatement. Yep. <laughs> Um, JL, it's so incredibly special to have had you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. You inspired not just me, but so many cricketers throughout the world. And now it is, it has been fascinating to hear the lessons, the incredible lessons that you have learned throughout your career, career and your life. I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share all of these amazing insights with me and everyone who listens to this will be that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the greats of world cricket. Thank you, mate. My pleasure. Thanks, mate. Thanks for inviting me on. It's, uh, it's been great talking to you. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.